Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. Have you ever wondered how an uptight hippie makes films? No? Well, now you'll know because Goff from BeerNutsProductions.com is here to talk about his latest masterpieces, a short movie mocking horse racing commentators, and a five-part behind-the-scenes documentary series about making the film. Goff is a legally blind independent filmmaker from Australia and holds the honor of being on Getting Work to Work more than any other guest. In this conversation, he shares why you should befriend cab drivers, the importance of walks for boosting your mental health and creativity, the challenges he faced coming up with horse names, and the two rules that make his website, BeerNutsProductions.com, so easy to use. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 734. As opposed to the 16 others that were pieces of shit. Yeah, pretty much, yes. No, I'm, I'm only, as I say to Ashley, I'm only being serious. <laughs> right. Well, Goff, welcome back to Getting Work to Work. I thought we would start with a very serious question today. Are you ready? Yes, yes. I, I'll, I'll even sit down. Okay. How would you sum up Goff? How would I sum up Goff? Uh, I think, actually, my favorite, there was two, because I've recently done a documentary, and the two favorite ways that was some, people summed me up was uh, my mate Shelley, who said I was a hand grenade with a faulty pin, which I thought was just magnificent, and I want that on a T-shirt. And the other one was my other mate, Loz, who said I'm bald, buff, and badly behaved. So uh, <laughs> I... I, I don't know which one I like better, uh, but I want them both on a T-shirt. So if somebody would like to, you know, print those on a T-shirt and send that out to me, um, I'd happily wear them. <laughs> but what would you say about you? No, it's, it's uh, well, how, what would I say about me? Uh, I would describe myself as being, uh, I reckon... I'm actually putting some thought into this answer. Ooh, I nice. I reckon that I am an uptight hippie. That's what I am. Nice. Because I share a lot of the same sort of values and thoughts as hippies, but I'm very uptight. So, you know, I'm very tightly wound, and yet I'm of a hippie mindset. So, yeah, I'm an uptight hippie. That's what I am. What I love about that answer, though, is, like, you make comedy and yet you're an uptight hippie so is comedy the 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 thing that unwinds the uptightness yes yeah yeah well you got to be uptight in all the pre-production and then the comedy the hippie can come out during the production <laughs> i see how this is going i see how that works but it's, it's the truth though man it really is like i'm real uptight about a whole host of things you know uh but then i'm like in a funny kind of way, I'm also, I'm not relaxed about much, but I have, like, I'm all about, you know, freedom of thought and freedom of expression and people should live their life how they want to live it. And if people want to do that, then, you know, I'm all about, you know, all of those sorts of values and things like that, you know, but I'm, I'm very tightly wound at the same time. So I'm, I'm a contrasting individual is what I am. That's right. Well, and I think... The fact that you own that and you understand that 
I think makes you a more evolved human being than the majority of people. Well, shall, shall we add that to the list as well? T-shirts. <laughs> Just adds to the complex uh, circle. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you've certainly been prolific the past three months creating not only a new film, but a five-part making of series. And, you know, prepping for your podcast, of course. Do you, do you sleep or are you just mainlining energy drinks? No, no, sleep is for the week. So definitely there will be no sleep. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never actually, to be fair, I've never really been big uh, a big sleeper. Like some people need their eight, nine hours. I'm just not that sort of dude. I'm cool with like five and six. So, you know, I usually get to bed just after midnight and I'm up again, you know, six, six thirty to uh, do some training and get, uh, get back into the day. So, it, it annoys people that I work with um, how how much energy I have and how little sleep I survive on. So, yeah, that's uh, that, that's just a fact. That's just yeah. uh, how I'm built. Maybe I need some medication. I don't know. I don't think so. Because one of the surprising things watching the documentary series was how much you walk. Like, you're <laughs> walking all the fucking time. <laughs> Well, well, you can't drive. I mean, I'm blind, man, so I can't drive. So it's my main mode of transport. I either work, I either walk, or I don't get where I need to go. So because cab drivers don't like $2 taxi fares. So, yeah, that's uh, – that's and, and, and as I discussed in the documentary, cab drivers are people you don't want to piss off. Cab drivers should be your friends, not your, yeah. uh, not your enemies. Uh, they can come in very handy, taxi drivers. So – not to piss them off is is a good thing. So yes, walking or taxis because public transport is non-existent around where I live. It's ridiculous. So yeah, that's uh, that's just how I go. Got to got to. I'm always walking. Yeah, well, I, and that has to keep your energy up. And and I imagine the ideas are nonstop when you're walking. Yeah, well, it does it does help? It is true because it does. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I suppose a psychologist would be better to discuss this, I guess, but it does kind of calm me down in a weird kind of way. So I go for the walk and I might listen to music or I'm, I'm a big sports guy. So I might listen to, I'm like a 60 year old man. I like listening to like the sports talk back radio, like and just, but I listen to it either for the news content or to mock the idiots that call up and just have a laugh at their expense, you know, cause they're usually, you know, morons so it's you know fun to mock morons so uh yeah but um i'll listen to a bit of that and then sometimes i will, will take the earphones out of my ears and just walk in a bit of quietness and uh and yeah just have a bit of a think because if something has sprung to my mind i'll uh, uh yeah, even walking home today from the gym uh, a bit of a with a, a script i've been sort of uh, flushing out recently there's been a bit of a roadblock and I was wondering what to do and it sort of came to me on the walk home from the gym. So, yeah, so you are correct. I think the exercise probably stimulates uh, the blood around your body and your heart's pumping and so it gets your brain active and it's the exercise that does it. So, yeah, so, yeah, I, I guess you'd probably have to speak to someone a little bit more qualified in that field. But, yes, I think you are correct. Next week on Getting Work to Work, I talk with Goff's friend Donna, who's going to let me know all about exercise and how it affects our creativity. Well, she, she actually said to me, because I was having a chat to her about exercise one day, and she says, if someone comes in and they're whatever their problem might be, 
She said, before I prescribe any kind of medication, I prescribe a gym membership. So I'm like, get yourself fit and healthy, get active, and then we'll come back in a month after you've done some proper training for a month, and we'll come back, and then we can have a look at, you know, because your thought will be better, your concentration will be better, everything will be better with some exercise under your belt. So once we get you moving and physically active, then we can try and either solve your problems, or if you do need meds, we can put you on the meds, you know what I mean? And I I am paraphrasing, to be fair, I don't want to put words in, in her mouth, but that's essentially, yeah, she she said the first thing I do is prescribe a gym membership to a, a lot of clients. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> One of the things that I appreciated about the documentary series, apart from my own cameo, is I loved seeing some of the people that we've talked about, but I've never really heard them talk. So people like Donna, people like Ilya, who makes your wonderful props, and then Hassan, the IT guy. I mean, there was a whole hidden cast of characters of Beer Nuts Productions. Yeah. Most of them were very unhappy because I gave them very little to zero notice that this was going to take place. But I did that on purpose so that I would get like real reactions from them so they didn't have time to prepare. But apparently Hassan got in trouble because he hadn't shaved that day and his wife was very upset with him because he was on camera unshaved and looking scruffy. Uh, but, you know, that's how the man looks, I suppose. So, you know, but, uh, yes, I did get an email from him uh, saying that, that Lolita, his wife, was very, very unimpressed with his appearance on camera. So, yes. But uh, as for Ilya, like, Ilya is a star. Like, she's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to to interview her because uh, she's just a, a highly eccentric and wonderful human being. Yes, very eccentric. And I think apart from the amazing artwork that she has all over her home, like which is I all love, hers, by the way, that that's all her stuff. Like all of that is amazing. her own original work. It's incredible. I loved her car though. Like the whole like, fact that she just takes sheets of vinyl and creates this amazing you know, rap for her car. And that's the second time she's done that. So her previous car was black with blue stencil on it. And then she sold that to a friend of hers, got this new car and did uh, this with vinyl. So again, different altogether. So yeah, she's just so talented. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to to have her in my life. Yeah. that and And I think that's what I, not to get too sentimental and, and, you know, I can't think of the right word. I'll let the writer figure the word out. But like it it was it, it was enjoyable to see just all of these different people in your life who makes your work possible. Yes. Yes. I don't know the what the question is there, Chris, but yes, I agree. It is <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being an ass. I'm going, I'm going through a phase of interviewing where I don't ask any questions, Goff. <laughs> it's very good. Very good indeed. But no, uh, you could be like Conan O'Brien. I've been listening to his podcast. Well, I, I love Conan O'Brien. Man, his questions go on for 10 minutes. I'm like, let the dude speak already. <laughs> but but, uh, but yes, put that, that aside. Uh, it was. I do agree, and one of the goals of doing this uh, project, I didn't want it to be just me on camera all the time. It was very important to me that everybody is involved. I'm a big uh, person of inclusion. I think inclusion is incredibly important 
So there's the hippie part of me coming out again. So inclusion, <laughs> man, everybody needs to be included. But it's true. Everybody does need to be included. So, uh, yeah, uh, it was important that everybody is on camera. So, uh, yeah, nobody said no. So there wasn't anybody who was like, Goff, I really don't want to do this. Uh, maybe Surly Pete wasn't overly keen, but I just forced him to do it. So that's a bit different, I suppose. But, um, uh, yeah, no, everybody was totally fine. And there was no one who said no, they didn't want to do a little clip for me. So uh, that that made me very happy as well. So obviously, I mean, the process starts three months and beyond before you even make a film. It's one thing to live that experience after however many films, what, 29 films or however many you've made. But like, what was it like to see your process unfold as, as you watch the documentary? Uh, well, that's a, that's a very fine question. Um, Finally. It, it, was, uh, it was interesting, it has to be said, because obviously I, I remember, because, you know, I lived it, so I remember the, the hiccups of which there were some uh, that I had to overcome. I remember all of them. Uh, but uh, it is interesting to watch back and reflect uh as to how I react to different circumstances. Because obviously you never see yourself because you are you. So unless you've got somebody filming and you watch yourself back, you never can witness your own behaviour. So, yeah, that that was very interesting uh, in regards to how I handled different circumstances, what I did and how I did it and all that sort of stuff. Because I just do what I do. I don't really, uh, I don't really put... I mean, I don't sit around, I'm not a thinker kind of guy. I don't sit around, you know, coming up with a plan. I just do. I don't think, I just do. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting to to look back and reflect on my behaviour and how I go about doing stuff. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting exercise. <laughs> was there any moments where you're like, oh, I don't like how I, how I came across or are you a pretty... Self-aware man. There was only one, and I I picked it up immediately because I even said it in the vlog where I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> but again, I didn't edit it out, and that was when I pulled a silly face because I was attempting to be humorous, and then halfway through realized that it wasn't humorous at all, and I shouldn't have done it. Uh, but I left it in because that was the whole point. So but that that one tiny little line is the only thing in it that I wasn't big on. Everything else is just... It is who I am. It is what I am. I mean, I, I wasn't pretending to be something I wasn't. So, yeah, I'm totally comfortable with it all, except for that one stupid joke that I shouldn't have done, uh, which is most people probably didn't even pick up on it. But, uh, yeah, it was just something that uh, I thought would be funny in the moment, uh, and I pulled a silly face. All it was was me pulling a stupid face. Uh that's literally all it was. And uh, I'm like, why? Why? And I, I knew, as soon as I did it, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. But I continued on anyway, you know? So, but that's, yeah, that's, that's it really. Yeah. Live and learn. No more stupid faces. That's what I learned. There's another t shirt. <laughs> no more stupid faces. <laughs> <laughs> what really blew my mind, Goff, was. Just, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but like three months before you actually film anything, you're kicking off pre-production. 
I mean, that's fantastic in terms of just how much work you put into a film. Well, when you see like the amount of time that we have to actually film it, I don't have a choice because it's not like I can go back and redo anything. So everything needs to be orchestrated down to the very last microscopic little bit. So I don't have a choice. Plus, uh, because of the way I like to do things, it means also I need to make sure that the actors have enough time to have their lines learnt because there were some big monologues for some of the actors to learn. So they need time to learn their lines. I've got a if there's a problem, I need time to be able to fix whatever that problem was. And as you saw, there was a few few problems arose during this that I needed to to fix. So it, it would be foolish to uh, do it any later, really. To to start even eight weeks out would be a foolish thing to do. So I've always done twelve weeks usually. So yeah, there was probably one or two where it's been. I mean, the wedding film. I, I gave myself a bit longer on that one, but um, I think most of them have been around the 12-week mark. And, yeah, I, I do that very specifically. So, And you saw, I mean, you saw why I did that when you see what goes into the making of one of these films. It's not like it's not – I think a lot of people think that we sort of just show up and do it, and that's absolutely not how it works at all. And also – I am, I mean, I do have people working for me and helping me, obviously, uh, but essentially I am a one-man band with a bunch of people around me, but I'm I'm the one steering the ship. So, you know, I've got to make sure that everything is how it needs to be as well. So I need that time to make sure everything is how it needs to be. Yeah, and, well, and, and I think I wrote down here 32 people for this film, actors and crew. I mean, that's... That's a lot of management of people. It is. It is. It, absolutely it is. And, you know, some of them are, are great. And uh, they look, everyone's got their own personality type. So by no way is this a criticism of any one individual. Everybody's completely different. But, you know, some people need to be micromanaged. Some people want to be left alone. Some people will come up with obscure questions that you need to answer. Some people you know, want lots of rehearsal, some don't, and some crew members need to be, like, need some help organising things and some don't, you know. So, you know, it's, everybody's different in the way they do things and it's my job to make sure that they're able to do their job. So i got to go to – got to meet them where they're at. i got to meet them on their level. So if they need an arm around the shoulder, if they're that kind of a person, then that's what I need to do. If they're the kind of person that – wants to be i mean there's a few that spring to mind that just want to be left alone and if i contact them they get annoyed at me so i'm like okay fine i know that you're totally cool so i'll just leave you be and there's others like i say who who need me to sort of guide them through which again is totally fine it's not a criticism that's just everybody's different so that's just uh and it's my job to make sure that everybody gets what they need and does the best job they can I don't know if I've ever asked you this question, but where did you learn th these leadership skills? Uh, I don't know. It's just I've always been uh, that kind of a person, even in school. Um, so I, I was actually school captain uh, <laughs> of, of my, uh, well, you'd call it elementary school. But we don't do a middle school. We do a primary school, which is years one to seven. Then high school is years eight to 12. So uh, when I was about, what, 12, 13 years of age, I was school captain of my school. So 
yeah, it's always been like just as a kid. I'm just, uh, I mean, I I do have a big personality. So, uh, I mean, nobody can really miss me. I'm big, (laughs) buff, bald and badly behaved. So no one can really miss me, you know. So I'm a sort of a big sort of character. And, and yeah, I just... uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I just uh, there's uh, on my podcast. Not that uh, I should be plugging my podcast on your podcast because we oh, are mortal enemies. Yeah, that's but, what um, that's what we do. But uh, I interviewed Dr. Phil Jauncey, who's a sports psychologist and has worked for like the Australian uh, Olympic team and the Brisbane Lions football team and the Australian cricket team. And he said there's four different personality types. There's enforcers. There's thinkers. There's feelers and there's mosquitoes, so they're all reasonably self-explanatory. Uh, but I, I would say that if we're putting me into a personality type, I would definitely be an enforcer of a person because that's usually you know your captains and that sort of thing. You know, then you got your thinkers, your feelers, and your mosquitoes. So yeah, but uh, if I, I guess without running any kind of diagnostic test, uh, I would probably just be naturally just the enforcer personality type. Yeah, and that comes through in the documentary as well, not as someone who's um, over-controlling, but just someone who's got a vision and, you know, you're you're doing all of the work to make sure it happens on the day of the shoot. Yes, 100%, man. Yeah, well, that's, that's it. Nobody knows the project better than me. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's... Yeah, pretty much that's it. Yeah, I, I know what I want. I know how I want it done. Uh, so I get the people around me who will do that. And that's it. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I think people overcomplicate things at times. So, and uh, hopefully, one thing that might have come through in the documentary is while it is hard work, I, I break things down to their very most simplest forms, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think. I think that's completely admirable as well, because I, I think sometimes, at, at least for myself, I'll leave things fuzzy and unclear so that I can just waffle and make excuses and be like, oh, it's the muse is not here for me right now, as opposed to if I actually planned everything and executed that plan, um, there's not a lot of room for uh, bullshit when, you, when you're executing a plan. Yeah, well, I'm a very goal-orientated person as well. So I say, okay, we're going to make this film. Okay, so that's it. That's what's going to happen now. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, I think in psychology they call it emotional integrity. So if you say you're going to do something, you will follow through and you will do that. That's the kind of person that I am as well. So, yeah, if I say that I'm going to do something, then that is exactly what's going to happen. So, yeah. Speaking of goal-orientated, and uh, emotional integrity. What kind of monster no-shows an audition? Oh, it happens all the time, like you saw. It happens all the time. So, yeah, it's mind-blowing to me as well. It's a job interview. Essentially, it is a job interview. So, I mean, if you're an accountant, for example, uh, would you just organize an interview at the biggest accounting firm in New York City and then go, yeah, can't be bothered like that's essentially right. it's no different and and when you feed back that information to a talent agent like what is the response typically uh well it's 50 some of them don't care they genuinely don't care 
uh, and some of them were like very apologetic and say, I'm really sorry, I'll have a word to them. There's one talent agent who I really like because the guy's a bit of a jerk, so I'm not going to say who it is because he is a jerk, but I like him a lot because he's very straight up and down. So uh, he'll always submit talent, which is fantastic. So that's the number one reason why I love him. And number two, he doesn't take any shit. So there was uh, the extras that I used came from him. Now, two of the extras, as you saw in the documentary, uh, after saying they would come on board two weeks later, then go, no, I don't want to do it now. And so I told this agent that the e- I sent him the emails and said, this is what I got from two of your actors. And his response was, oh, well, they can just sit on the sidelines for a little while. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, but like, again, I'm not sure that that's the ethical thing to do. If there's a role that suits them, he should send them. So again, I don't condone his jerky behavior, but. I do like it on one level because he's like, you know what? If they're not going to act like professionals, then it's a bad reflection on me as their agent because it makes me look bad. So I'm not going to send them out. And I, I totally, I, I would kind of, I might even do the same thing to be honest. But yeah, no, it's it's not a surprise. Like you saw in the documentary, uh, from memory, I think I had uh, 25 people to come in, and what was it? Two that were just complete no shows. And three that cancelled on the day. So yeah, but like as I said in the documentary, that didn't surprise me. That's that's very normal. So yeah, I I find that amazing that that's normal because it's I don't again it's just it, it, we're beating this horse dead here. Um, I have this imaginary commentator in my head, you know, running this conversation right now, and here he goes talking <laughs> about this commentary track. Um, but it, it's just unprofessional. So I also yeah. make a list of those people as well. So if they ever come up again, I just won't I just won't have them come in because, I mean, again, as you saw in the documentary, I have a zero tolerance kind of policy. So I don't put up with any nonsense like that. So uh, I do have a bit of a shit list. And if somebody uh, comes up again for an audition and they're on the shit list, I just don't even I don't even see them. It would be foolish for me to do that. On that shit list, do you have a list of your favorite excuses that people have given? Uh, I haven't written down the excuses, but I do remember some of them. I think I said a couple of them in the in the documentary. Uh, but yeah, I've had just extraordinary excuses over the years. There's no no doubt about that. Outrageous behavior. And the part is, I mean, like just people in general. So not even not even actors and whatnot. But sometimes you hear somebody say something and they're like, do you actually listen to the words that exit your mouth hole? I mean, like, are you being for real right now? Like, you really think I'm going to I'm gonna buy this? I had one guy, I didn't put this in the, the documentary, I had one guy, this is a few years ago now, uh, tell me that he couldn't uh, show up to the audition because he got employed in counter-terrorism training by the Australian Army. Now, firstly... Uh, if you saw the man, the army aren't employing him for anything. Also, the army do not employ people for counterterrorism. That is another department altogether. And thirdly, if you were employed to do counterterrorism, I'm pretty sure it's a top secret kind of a deal and you wouldn't be telling some random film producer about it. But, you know, I'm like, I don't argue with people because there's no point. So I'm just like, okay, no worries. Bye. And that's it. So, yeah. 
what great fodder though for writing characters when when you hear people's excuses and they're the spectrum of honesty well if you watch my film uh how to land your dream job uh, i believe there's 16 job interviews that we go through and i reckon out of that 16 i reckon oh i can't remember off the top of my head but i reckon it's in double figures that are real ones that have actually happened to me. So I reckon it would be at least 12 that those situations are based on true stories. They're just things that I haven't made up. They're like for real idiotic things that people have said. So, yeah, you are quite right. Uh, sometimes I do take things from real life and stick them in a script. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of stupid things people say, John Lennon, is that Harry Potter? <laughs> what? <laughs> and it had imagine written on the t-shirt it's got imagine and a big face of john lennon and 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 the kid goes is that it wasn't a kid they were like early 20s and they're like is that harry potter I'm like what is wrong with you i mean come on everyone knows who john lennon is i would have thought so but no, you know, but apparently uh, not no. there's that uptight, there's the uptight coming out Oh, see, see, it's the stupid shit that doesn't matter that frustrates me. Like I was like, like that that horrified me. It had, I mean, it's completely inconsequential, but it mortified me that that happened. Uh, another question that I wrote down is, why are the Whitlam's your favorite band? Oh, well, that's easy to to answer. Uh, when they started out, all their songs were like super dark, like about suicide and. And drug use and it was like oh this is awesome they're not heavy they're not death metal or anything like that they're they're like uh it's bass guitar piano drums but they're like uh and they use a lot of strings as well uh so they're alternative in their sound they're not commercial by any stretch but they're like super dark and but they do it with humor so that's why i really really like him because he does the way he writes his songs they can be very witty uh, but then he'll turn around and do something like super, super dark. So yeah, I, I love it. I love it because of the 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 funny darkness of it all really appeals to me. Plus, I like the tunes. But um, yeah, it's uh, they are absolutely my favorite band. So one one more question here about the documentary before we transition to the film. But you you had some fun sayings in the film, but uh, what are your favorite 1930s phrases that no one else say? <laughs> well, things I just say things in their original form, like picture show. I'm going to the picture show. You know, <laughs> just I say shit like that, and I use words like chortle. You know, you know things like that, things that nobody else uses. Have you even heard of the word chortle? No. Oh, is means, that like you know, putting more? Is that like putting more mayonnaise on it? No, no, no. Chortle is laughing. You're having a bit of a chortle. You, you, it's like a chuckle. Okay. It would, a chortle would be the equivalent to a chuckle. But okay. uh, yes, I like using. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I like using all those uh, things in their original form. You know. So yeah, that's just uh, that's just who I am, I guess. So this is actually why you're up till midnight. You're reading the Oxford English Dictionary, looking up the first original uses of words. Well, I, heard a, I had a film critic once, 
and I think I might have already told you this story, referred to uh, an Emily Blunt, uh, who's a very fine actress, I like Emily Blunt, referred to one of her film performances as being ebullient, and I fell off my chair with laughter because I just thought it was magical, a magical use of the word ebullient, which means aggressive. So I don't, and, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I don't know how an acting performance can be aggressive per se, but, yeah, apparently her performance was ebullient. I thought it was perfectly fine, but, uh, but no, no, it was ebullient. And uh, so that should be your word of the day. What I appreciate about that, though, is like I'll use Grammarly to check my grammar for my writing. And every once in a while, it will highlight a word and say, even a knowledgeable audience will have trouble knowing what this word is. And it's like a word like ideation. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, but see, I, I, I don't care because like, <laughs> uh, you, you've seen enough of my films to know I do word things in a specific way that's a part of my style. And I would imagine that there would be a certain amount of the audience, uh, I don't know what percentage, but there would be some folks out there that would be like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Like, I, I don't get any of this at all. And there would be, because I'm not everybody's cup of tea, I totally get it, you know, but there would be some people out there that would just be so confused by the wording of my thing. And, like, some of the actors, I've had actors come in for auditions who want to, like, I mean, I don't like improv and uh, they want to change my scripts and stuff. And like for, oh, for a good example, a, a lady came in to audition for Mr. Eligible uh, and she wanted to be the, I don't know if you recall, there was the intruder character who read the poem who was like super over the top perfect. So uh, she came in to her audition and if you remember, there's the line, uh, before she reads the poem where she said she wanted to, to express herself in the field of poetry. And this actress was adamant that she refused to say the word field. No, it's just she's going to express herself in poetry. I said, yes, in the field of poetry. There's many different fields you can express yourself in. She's choosing the field of poetry. So that's how it's going to be delivered. No, I'm not saying field. It's ridiculous. I'm not saying that. I said, okay, then. Thank you for your time. It's been lovely to meet you. Off you go. So, you know, that's just that's just how it is. Ah, the hills we die on. <laughs> you think my job is fun? I do. Yeah. I, I you know, I think um I have a really good insight into into you now because of the documentary. And and I can tell you enjoy what you do. Oh, no, no, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I mean, uh, it's. Uh, I think Scott said it when I was talking to Scott in one of the interviews, and he's like, you know, there's. Look, I love my work, he says, but you know, there's parts of every job that sucks. I mean, again, you take an accountant. I mean, there would be parts of you know having to answer to the boss or whatever, or there might be a work colleague or what. There's parts of everybody's job that that gives you the shits. That's just the nature of the beast. But um, yes, you're quite right. For the most part, I love what I do. Absolutely, I do. So at what point do you get an idea f to make a documentary about horse racing commentators? Because, <laughs> well, it was about mainly I wanted to make fun of horse racing because I think that it's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so, look, I want to be really clear about something too because I've had a few people question me on this. I'm not, like, I... 
my my issue with the the sport quote unquote sport of horse racing is I'd be all for it if the horses could speak like Mr. Ed and say, yeah, I'm fully on board. I love running around the track. It's like totally cool. My favorite thing to do. But until I can hear a horse confirm that they're into it, I don't know that I'm a hundred percent on board, let's say. So, you know, I just think that uh, we should maybe, I don't know, maybe think about things a little better. But anyway, so I thought that it's uh, right for the mocking. So I wanted to mock horse racing. And then I thought, what's like uh, the most noticeable part of horse racing? And it's obviously, in my mind, it's the commentators. Because, again, I guess being blind, it's the one thing that I hear is the commentary. And it's always, you know, number three coming around the bend and number four. It's always the same kind of thing. And uh, I just thought that uh, that would be the best way uh, in which to uh, to to mock horse racing, generally speaking. It was sort of my, I guess, goal, I guess. I was intrigued w- during the documentary because you mentioned that when you go to a, a football game, you have a, a radio that you can listen to the commentators talking about the game that you're experiencing. Was there a connection there? Is that where you got the idea for horse racing then because of how you experience football games? No, no, not at all. No, no. It was simply just I wanted to make fun of horse racing, (laughs) and I figured that the best way to do that is through the commentating because that's something that everybody, it's so recognizable. A horse race commentator is so recognizable. So I thought if I was to focus in on the trainer or something like that, plus the commentator sort of sums up everything. Like if you were to just speak to an owner, for example, or make fun of the owner of the horse, then that's just one aspect of of the whole sport. So to if the commentators sort of sum up everything because they're telling you like the horse is coming first, then obviously it's been trained well and ridden well and so forth and so on. So the the caller gives you the insight into the whole proceeding. So that was that was why I focused in on the callers. Nice. I have to imagine coming up with all of the horse names was a fantastic evening. No, no, it was really hard, and I'm being serious. Like, it was genuinely tricky. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed, because obviously Australian slang is very different to American slang. Uh, I'm not sure if you realized, you might have to go back, but the second call, not the first one, but the second one are all disgusting slang terms for a lady's private bits. Was that uh, <laughs> apparent to you? I knew something was going on. <laughs> but yes. So uh, again, I just amuse myself. So I'm like, I'm going to come up with every vulgar term for a lady's private parts and I'll name the horses after all of them. So that was the second race, but the first race was just trying to come up with the like most outrageous names that I could come up with, which uh, is harder than you would actually think, to be honest. So yeah, it was a that that's where there was a few rewrites because I'd come up with a name and I'm like, nah, that sucks. And then a few days later, I'd come up with a different one. So yeah, that that was one thing that uh, was tricky. Yeah, my my favorite character name has to be though Al's character of Jack Fraudulence because <laughs> you know the whole like 
commentary around how much education costs was cracking me up that that was one of my favorite scenes well you know i figure figure you may as well well firstly it's your favorite actor it's al so i mean you know you've got a you've got a biased opinion but (laughs) um take taking that off the table yes uh jack fraudulence again i figure we may as well just ram the joke down people's throats and even call the character after what he is which is a fraudster so yes uh, another of my favorite scenes was the chairman scene with uh, Simon, oh, yes. Simon Brown delivered that perfectly. I mean, just just a great comedic timing on that. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, he, he uh, yeah, he needed to be as uh, obviously as pompous as possible. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, he was. He actually said, "We, I don't know how much you want to spoil, but um, after because we had to do quite a few takes." Uh, just for a few different reasons. We had to do quite a few takes of that particular scene. And uh, he actually said he was legitimately feeling dizzy and needed five minutes to have some water and just to sort of calm down because uh, he was he was feeling feeling a bit uh, yeah a bit, bit dizzy. I'm being serious too. So we had to just uh, chill out for five while he sort of recomposed himself. And then the next one he did was actually the take that we used. So, yes. Yeah, it's, it's fun to since I watched the documentary first, then watched the film, it was fun to kind of see just how much went into different scenes and the location prepping and, and all of that. And it's, it's, it was interesting to see just how much effort goes into just the shortest of scenes, like the pools. Yeah. 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 The, the pool scene was, uh, was very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. So when I'm doing the schedule, obviously I knew, that there was going to be a lot of makeup obviously required. So I'm doing the schedule. So I've got to keep that in mind. So uh, I know for that sort of makeup, Maddie needs at least an hour. And of course we need sunlight because it's outside by a pool. So uh, yeah, there's things like that that go into scheduling that I've got to keep in mind. It's not like we can just rock up there and film, you know, we've got to film the first part of the scene. Then there's going to be at least an hour's break while Maddie does the makeup and then uh, we got to film the second part of the scene so we got to make sure obviously i've got to make sure then also again that's uh we filmed that at an airbnb so i actually hired an airbnb uh and so i need to again make sure because again like any sort of a place you got to check in and all that sort of stuff and you can't just check in whenever you want you know there's there's rules involved with these things so again we've got to arrive exactly on three o'clock we've got to make sure that we're filming the first scene is done by at least 3 30 which gives maddie an hour and uh, so that means that we can be finished those scenes by five o'clock because at five o'clock the sun's going to start going down so yeah that those sorts of things are all in uh, forward thinking yeah impressive is there a specific joke that you hope it lands well with people uh, well, I do like, I must say, I do like, well, there's a couple, really. I do like the pool scene. That's that's one of my favourites because it's just, as I say, in the thing, it's outrageous. So, you know. <laughs> uh, but I also, I my, my favourite scene when I was writing was uh, the young boy uh, doing doing the commentary, like commentating the crumbing of the chicken. Yes. Uh, that was that was my favorite writing, but when it all uh, was done, my favorite one was the other cutaway with the couple in the bedroom, the commentator in the bedroom. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> that that was that was marvelous. Yeah, and the wife delivered the response to the husband perfectly. Yeah, yeah. We actually had to there was a few takes of that uh, she kept laughing. So because <laughs> so, she's going to look miserable and then like uh, a, a little bit into it she'd start laughing and the take that we use if it had gone on about two more frames, the smile would have started coming across her face. So that was as much as we could get before we had laughter. So, um, yeah, because she's got to be very unimpressed, not laughing. <laughs> Seeing as I've watched a lot of Beer Nets films, I noticed the ending shot is a lot different than the, a typical film. Was that an improv moment or was that specifically done in script? Oh, no. So... Uh, when we were filming, I assume you mean the, the fellow riding on the pad. Yes. So, yeah. So when, when we were filming, because, uh, that location, uh, wasn't the original location that I was going to use, uh, it was very big. The room was very big. So when we were filming it, I was like in my brain, cause I'm always thinking ahead. I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to look on camera. Uh, I mean, I, I can see how it's going to look on camera, but I'm not sure uh, if it's going to be, because the room is so big, I, I don't know if people will think that it's as big as it is, if that makes sense. I want it to look as small as possible. So I thought what we'll do is we'll do a couple of cutaways, and so I can always insert a cutaway if I need to. So oh, the other thing you asked me earlier, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things, if you look closely in scene two at the school, the guy, and he was just an extra. I'd never met him before because I don't obviously audition the extras. The guy in the first row, right in the middle, a guy called Apollo is his name. Uh, I happily worked with him again. He was a good guy. He gives some of the best facial reactions when the young lad gets told to get out uh, and stands off and trudges away. His face at the front of the room because he looks around and the eyes are as wide as that he sources. <laughs> The facial that he gives just, he just cracks me up. Every time I see that, it just breaks me in two. I love it so much. He, he uh, yeah, he was a good guy. He, 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 uh, he understands comedy because uh, you can't give face like that if you don't understand comedy. But that, see, that was one of those natural things that wasn't <laughs> planned that just absolutely creased me. I loved every second of that. But yes, back to the the end shot. So we were doing. I did. Uh, I thought going in, uh, we'll do a couple of cutaways. So uh, Scott and the crew weren't aware that we were going to do that. I just thought of it, uh, you know, a few days prior, and had made a little few notes. So once we had finished filming the actual scenes, I said, "Okay, Scott, we'll just do a couple of cutaways." So the first one I want to do is I'll choose you. So I said to this lad, "I'll choose you." Again, he was an extra. I said, "This is what I want you to do," and he said, "Okay, fine." And so it, it, it looks quite funny. So I said to Scott, uh, when we were editing, I'm like, oh, it's a shame we can't use that cutaway because it just, it would ruin the momentum of the scene to stick it in there. So we just can't use it, unfortunately. And it was Scott's idea. He goes, well, why don't we just stick it at the end of the credits then? You know, we can still use it. I'm like, all right, we'll just do that. So yeah, it was more, it was a cutaway that was, uh, that, that we really liked uh, that I didn't want to waste basically is uh, yeah. the the long answer to your question that's perfect because i well i think it speaks to you always working on the formula of your work too 
you know, and willing to try th- new things, new ideas um, ahead of time. Well, there's a few times with the audio tracks that I've done, because uh, there's 15 audio downloads, like scripted sketches on the website that people can also download. Uh, there's been a few times where Scott and I have done that with the audio stuff where there's been like a blooper or something like that. And so we've stuck it at the end of the audio file. There was a, the radio one uh, is really, really funny because Tilly was doing like a, a sexy late night radio hosting voice. And then after she finished, because I'm in the studio with them when we're recording it, and after she finished, she, she looks at me and she's laughing. So be clear, she wasn't being serious. She was laughing. And she looks at me and she's like, Goff, I feel dirty. So <laughs> we kept... And we put that in at the end as like a little fun blooper. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was something else we did. But uh, yeah, that's just a yeah fun thing. Bloopers, bloopers are fun. There was also uh, an earlier film I did with Simon. Uh, we actually made a blooper reel. Um, it was the Melanie Holden interview. And if you go onto my YouTube channel, uh, you'll see there is. I'm not too. Uh, uh, it might be called Melanie Holden Outtakes or something like that, and it's about uh, six or seven minutes of its Kale and Beck for the most part. And, yeah, they uh, it's all their outtakes, and it's really, really funny. So, um, yeah, occasionally I will do stuff like that as well. Nice. One, one important note that I want to tell people about BeerNutsProductions.com is how easy it is to buy these films. Like, it's really easy to, to not only support independent film but get quality media back i mean you make it really easy to to give you money yes well that's done on purpose so uh hassan my it man when we were building the website he's like oh well we'll have logins and passwords i'm like no we'll have none of that (laughs) because he's like what i said to him look there's two rules said to him firstly i want this website to be designed so the world's dumbest person can download something. He's like, okay. And I said, the second rule is I want people on the website for as little time as possible. I want them to go there, buy my shit, and fuck off. I don't want them on my website because if they're on my website, they're not watching my material and they're not going back to my website to buy something else. So I don't want to hold them up. Just get what you want to get and piss off. You know, that's so they're the two rules. He's like, okay, no worries. So that's how the website is designed. It's designed to make it as easy as humanly possible to download a product. So yeah, that that's done very much on purpose. I love that. You should be a brand strategist, Goft. Well, I mean, there are some businesses where obviously you want people on your website for as long as possible. But with me, Download your shit, piss off, watch it, come back, download something else, piss off, watch it, down you know what I mean? Like that's I don't want you clicking on my website. I want you to get on the website, enjoy the content, and come back to the website. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't want you clicking around my website. I want you to download shit and bugger off. <laughs> so as you're working on a making of documentary that's you know close to two and a half hours long. And you're making, you know, close to a half hour film. That's three hours of finished material. Are you working at that at the same time? I mean, how are you juggling both of these projects? Yeah, well, yeah, it's done. Yeah, it's absolutely done at the same time. So uh, I would 
uh, when I felt it was necessary to do a vlog. Obviously, as you know, because uh, you very kindly did a clip for my documentary, um, and I was uh, very anal, as I usually am. I'm like, Chris, where's my clip? And you're like, it's coming. And I'm like, Chris, it's not here. Where's my clip? And you're like, it's coming. And I'm like, yeah, you've said that already, Chris, but where's my fucking clip? And you're like, I'll get it done, I promise. And I'm like, for Christ's sake. And this is back in July or whenever it was. And you obviously recall this conversation taking place. Uh, But now you understand, I think, probably why I was like I was because I got the other people's clips in as quickly as I could to see what I would have. And then I knew, so I I knew I would have, uh, and then obviously I knew the people that I wanted to chat to, like Ilya and and so forth. And so that sort of gave me an idea, okay, I've got this amount of content and so I need, I'll do vlogs whenever I feel like it's necessary to do vlogs. And then it was maybe a couple of days of just uh, sitting down with all the content uh, before going into the studio to edit. It was probably a couple of days of just going through everything. Okay, I'll put a vlog here. I'll put a clip there. I'll put like obviously the vlogs have got to go in order. So the vlogs go in order, but then I'll stick a clip in there. I'll stick a clip in there. It's appropriate to put a clip in there to to time and pace everything out properly. Because originally my original thought was to do a ninety minute film, but then I realised I was going to have too much footage, and I also realised ninety minutes straight up of that might be a bit heavy, might be a bit hard to watch. So I thought splitting it into five sort of half an hour episodes would be a far more sensible way to do it. So that's why I did it like that. But yeah, so there, there was uh, it was a lot more work uh, than I thought it was going to be. But again, that's totally fine. I actually really enjoyed it, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's why I wanted clips up front as early as possible uh, so I could see that I would be able to make it work. And then, yeah, just do my vlogs whenever I felt it necessary save everything i would label everything as i'm saving it so nothing could be either uh missed or just uh lost or anything of that nature so everything was labeled it also obviously makes everything easier so when i went into the studio to edit with scott it's like uh clip one put it in nothing to be done clip two put it in nothing to be done clip three there's three photos they're time coded i want that photo at the 10 second mark i want that photo at the 15 second mark Right, done, good, we move on, clip four. So essentially that's how that went because everything was prearranged and organised in advance. So, yeah, so otherwise it would have been a complete mess. Yeah. I think, too, in the documentary, you see potential ideas for future projects as well because I'll I'll be honest, I'd watch a, a series with you and Ash just driving around the Gold Coast, going to places and giving each other shit. <laughs> you know she's a good sport ashley because uh yes i do uh i do tend to uh, give her a bit of a hard time but uh yes she's a good sport she really is so yeah 10 out of 10 she she's a great actress actually and she was very good to uh, jump in as a real life production assistant but she's a quality actor and person to be honest so yes she might uh she might be featuring on a podcast episode of my own uh, soon, so you'll be able to listen to half an hour of us having witty banter via our podcast. Ooh, I can't wait! So, when are you when are you launching the next round of interviews on the Beerness Productions podcast? Uh, middle of November. So I record in two weeks' time, and then obviously, as soon as I've recorded them, they're pretty easy 
uh, minor at least, uh, because there's not a lot of production value goes into them. I just top and tail them. There's no music or nothing to be added usually. Uh, and so, yeah, I just then uh, give them to Hassan one week at a time and he sticks them up for me. So, yeah, so as soon as I record them, they can go up pretty much straight away. So, yeah, so middle of November is the answer to that, yes. Any uh, interesting stories that you're looking forward to sharing? Well, I'm not going to simply because, again, as you know, with the podcast situations, a lot the same as the audition situation where people sometimes will cancel or not show up. So uh, I don't want to say I'm looking forward to interviewing somebody and then they they're a no-show and you're like, hey, you promised me this person. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm really, really sorry. And you're like, you've let me down. I'll never speak to you again. So I don't want that to happen. So uh, I'm pretty sure Ash won't let me down, which is why I've uh, which is why I've announced her. But um, yeah, hopefully, if the people show up that I want to show up, there should be some really interesting people uh, with politics and with sport and with acting and with music. I might, I might even be able to convince your friend Al to come in for an interview as well. So. Uh, Al will come in, he'll bring his guitar and he'll do a song because he does, uh, he's also a singer-songwriter as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see uh, see how that goes. Great. We'll have competing interviews with Al. Well, I'll crush you like an ant. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, Goff, it is always a pleasure to talk with you, my friend. I I feel like I know you even more now because of the the five part series. And, and you're still talking to me, so that's a, that's a bonus. Exactly. Is there a film or series that you're looking forward to checking out? I went to go see Dumb Money just yesterday at the cinema. And I quite liked it. I thought it was very good. Uh, my only criticism, uh, and it's just because I'm blind and all, was there was a lot of writing on the screen and the cinema didn't have audio description. So there would have been a lot of information that I missed out on, which sucked. Uh, but there is a lot of writing to be read, which is annoying. Uh, why filmmakers either can't uh, verbalise it through characters, like through their speech, or why they can't do a voiceover, I don't know. But there's so much writing. It really it started to irritate me a touch. But besides that, which, I mean, that's just a me problem. Uh, besides <laughs> that, it was very, very good. The performances were terrific. Uh, it, was, it was nice and fast-paced. It was really cool. I, I dug it a lot. I really liked the way it was made, actually. I thought it was uh, very cleverly done. I dug it. I thought, yeah. So uh, people should go check out Dumb Money. Uh, oh, I should also point out, if you recall, uh, Chris, being as I, I forced you at gunpoint to watch my five-part documentary series, uh, I mentioned that I, I went to go see a picture show uh, the yeah. night before we went to rehearsals. Uh, so I saw the movie that uh, Blackberry that's based on the Canadian film that's about the lads that invented the Blackberry. Okay. And uh, it, good? it was okay. It wasn't brilliant. Again, there was so much writing at the end of just irritated. Like with Dumb Money, the writing was all the way through, but it was like there was a 5,000-word essay at the end of BlackBerry telling you what happened to each guy, and, of course, I missed out on that. But um, uh, it was pretty good, actually. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I would say, 
if, if I was on the uh, the movie show, I think I would give it. I think I would give it a solid three, maybe three and a half stars out of five. Whereas <laughs> I think Dumb Money is definitely a four four out of five. My wife was just telling me about a movie that's a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh dear! What the With, uh, John Cena, I think. Oh well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that surprises me because he's such a thespian, such a Shakespearean thespian that I'm surprised that he could That's be right. in such a poor film. I know. I mean, he was brilliant in Peacemaker, but <laughs> that's Peacemaker and not whatever the movie was that I can't even remember. You know, you know who's going to have a, a tough time after this interview? You, with all the notes that you had, because you're the most <laughs> thorough uh podcast note person and they're usually like usually when we speak there's usually about a dozen references and you'll put your imdb credits or youtube clips or whatever but uh i, I fear that this one is uh is going to be epic because there's been quite a quite a few things uh mentioned yeah well that's just part of the job of trying to one-up golf hey i'll tell you another film that i saw <laughs> on apple tv just to annoy you even more and it's fantastic, right? It, it, like, it's genuinely, this one was a five out of five. Like, it's really, really great. And it's uh, uh, Flora and Son on Apple TV. It's Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Lovett, uh, an Irish actress whose name escapes me, but she's really, really, really good. Uh, and it's absolutely fantastic. And it's like, uh, it is, I think it's something you would enjoy because it's like a bit of comedy. It's a bit dark, but it's about music, but it's Irish. And the Irish are very good when it comes to their entertainment uh they do a really solid job i reckon but um yeah it's on apple tv that's the only place you can watch it so if you don't have apple tv you shit out of luck but it's a it's a high quality film so there you go that's another one that you're now forced to put on the notes unless you edit this part of the chat out uh, i i very rarely edit anything out now <laughs> uh speak so i i just want to end with a quick story here because it, in the last part of episode five of the making of series you credit me as Chris Martian. Oh, fuck, and, did I? And what's great about that was it's it's a common misspelling of my last name. But when I was a kid, I used to call myself Chris Martian because I thought I was the weirdest kid at school and, and I just wanted to own it. So thank you for an honest typo, but bringing me back to my childhood in a pleasant way. Oh, well, first, firstly, I'm genuinely apologetic because I I, oh. I take great pride in uh, making sure that I double check things like that because people can, you thankfully haven't, but people can, and very rightly so, it should be said, get very upset when their name is spelled incorrectly on things like I mean, they've got every right to be upset. So I take great care in doing that, and I can't believe I made that mistake. I'm very sorry, but... Uh, I am pleased that no offense was taken. So yes, oh, maybe, not at all. maybe you should use that as a uh, as a stage name, perhaps. Yeah, you know that that might get me a different type of email instead of Chris Cold, Martin. Yeah, Coldplay Cold fans. Email. <laughs> well, thank you for taking uh, my. And it was an honest typo, so thank you for taking my uh, my honest mistake uh, with humor. I appreciate that. Of course. You know, the life's life's too short to be an uptight hippie when it comes to your name. <laughs> well, I don't know. I am. I get the uh, p people. Uh, I, I get annoyed when people mispronounce golf. I mean, it's not that difficult. It's spelt the same as cough, just with a G. 
but I yeah. get all kinds of interpretations. Uh, so, so yes. Um, and when I call up people, like a business, for example, like I'm organizing a location, for example, and I'm like, they're like, I said, it's Goff from Beer Nuts Productions. They're like, what, what the hell? What, what is, who is this? What is going on? Why? I mean, firstly, they should absolutely know who I am, right? I mean, come Hello. on. Have they been living in a shoebox all their life? I mean, come on. But besides that, they, uh, they, they get rather confused, some people. Uh, Goff from Beer Nuts Productions is a bridge too far for a few folks. Well, on that note, Goff, thank you so much for coming back to Getting Work to Work and sharing all of the malarkey and hilarity and anal retentiveness that goes into every ounce of filmmaking. It is not lost on me. Thank you for just the work that you put out into this world and making me laugh. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. And yes, sir, hopefully everybody uh, hits up beernutsproductions.com and they uh, they download the new film and obviously we should I should have point out as well when you download the new film which is uh reluctant heroes horse race commentators because they are reluctant heroes Chris those horse race commentators they're a humble kind and they are reluctant heroes when you do download that film you get the five part series as a free bonus so uh, I'm giving shit away now just giving it away so uh, Go to beernutsproductions.com, and when you do download the uh, the Rafton Heroes Horse Race Commentators, you will get the free bonus, which is the five-episode series. You can also watch the documentary on all the socials, uh, Facebook and, and YouTube and Instagram and all of those, Twitter uh, or X or whatever it's called. Who knows? It'll be called something else next week. But uh, you'll be able to uh, check me out on all the socials. Just look up beernutsproductions.com. Fantastic. Have, have I have I have I plugged myself enough or should I should I keep going? Oh, you can keep going. I don't care. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm only joking. No, no. Thank you, though. I, I'm genuinely appreciative of your time though, Chris. So thank you for having me on the show yet again. Be sure to head to beernutsproductions.com to get Goff's latest film and all the others if you're feeling generous. You can also head to gwtw.co slash seven thirty-four to find the link to his YouTube channel where you can see the entire five-part series. If you're curious what I had to say about his work, I kick off episode two because I did eventually get him his clip and he's probably still thinking, about damn time, Chris. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.